0: So this, uh, this second Sunday of Easter that we're in builds on the good news we celebrated last week that our Lord Jesus, who was once dead, is now alive. Amen. Amen. Uh, and it's really one of those times, one of those uh, church seasons that we kind of hold in tension, that tension between our understanding of the piety of Christ's sacrifice on the one hand, uh, and the pure joy that fills our hearts It's a wonder we don't all just break out into laughter because of the revolutionary, radical, crazy kind of love that sent our Lord Jesus to the cross. And not just to the cross, but raised him to life again in the empty tomb of Easter. And that tension between uh, those two competing emotions of despair and joy is right at the heart of two psalms we're actually going to consider today. Uh, Two psalms that many scholars think actually belong together as one song, and so I'm going to read them to you that way, and that's how we're going to look at them today. So if you're following along, I invite you to turn to Psalm 42, and we're going to read Psalm 42 and 43 uh, straight through as one, one text. So this is Psalm 42, which is superscribed to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Amen. And as we were uh, reading through that text, I hope you you picked up on the pattern there, the the pattern of of hope and, and lament and then hope again and that really is a lot like everyday life isn't it i mean as we experience kind of the ebbs and flows of our existence because we've all had experiences of joy and gladness but we all get discouraged and disheartened at times too don't we i know i do it's like the uh the pastor that i read about who uh, after the end of of his sermon announced he wanted to meet with the church board following the benediction and so the the worship service ended and He went and sat down in the church conference room, but to his surprise, the first man to show up at the meeting was a total stranger. And the pastor said, I'm sorry, sir, you you must have misunderstood my announcement. This meeting is just for the board. And the man said, yeah, I know. And if there was anyone here today more bored than I was, I'd sure like to meet him. (laughs) And none of you say that after church, okay? But but we we can laugh at that, but you know, the truth is sadly that there are folks in churches all over the world that feel that way. Uh, Folks that can somehow sit through a service of worship to our risen Christ and never catch the joy and the wonder of His Spirit that's all around us. They don't feel that glad longing to be in the Lord's house and among the Lord's people or to be immersed in His Word. And they don't feel that yearning the psalmist described today in verse 1 and and you guys sang it beautifully too before we read it uh, when he said as a deer who pants for flowing streams and so my soul pants for you O god my god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when can i come and appear before god And, and you know i think that happens in part because you know some folks just can't wrap their minds around what jesus has done for them and what he's accomplished you know just like the people of jesus day couldn't because his mission and his ministry didn't look like what they expected from a messiah the resurrection just didn't seem to fit into their stubborn mold of tradition it wasn't religion as usual and they didn't really understand the information that they were given or even how to respond to it you know that's why when we read last week that the women at the tomb saw jesus and and held on to his feet, somehow they still ran and told the disciples they didn't know where Jesus' body was. Right? Uh, and that's why Thomas said he wouldn't believe the testimony of the ten other apostles about the Lord's appearance unless he touched the nail wounds himself and, and put his finger into Jesus' side. And, and so for the women and uh, for Thomas, when the Lord appeared and confirmed his physical tangible bodily resurrected presence they had to have been almost giddy from the numbness of confusing emotions and and just the flood of overwhelming relief did that ever happen to you you know it's that it's that feeling when you're so sure that we know what's supposed to happen next and then wham just out of nowhere comes the unexpected and and you just kind of break out and laugh and that's not necessarily a bad thing Because one of the ways that God has given us is kind of a psychological release valve. And maybe that's why they uh, say laughter is good medicine. But uh, did you ever try to imagine what it would be like to live in a world without laughter? I can't, right? And anybody who's known me for longer than half an hour uh, knows I can't resist a good laugh, especially at myself. And if you think about it, if a good healthy sense of humor is a gift from God, as surely it is. And if we are made in God's image, as definitely we are, then I don't think it's wrong to assume that God himself has a sense of humor. Because joy and laughter are mentioned all throughout the scriptures, even particularly in today's text. When the psalmist says, in effect, that no matter what he's going through in life, that these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them, in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And you know, that's what God wants for all of us. God made us to rejoice and to be glad. He's the author of laughter and of joy. And you know, I I sincerely believe with all my heart that when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that he embodied that truth as well. Did, like, did you ever have a friend who was just the life of the party? You, you know, somebody uh, who just makes a good gathering into a great gathering just by showing up? You know, like somebody who's who's so winsome uh, and genial that they're just fun to be with, right? You just love to spend time with them? We well, you know, our Lord Jesus was a person like that. The Scriptures attest to it. In fact, one of the greatest criticisms leveled against him was that he had too much fun, right? He was labeled a glutton and a drinker of wine, and a friend of tax collectors, and partiers, and riotous sinners. But you know, our Jesus was completely at home attending festive events. I remember, he accepted the invitation to the wedding at Cana, and he's the one who restocked the wine when the host ran out. Right? And in Mark chapter 2, he's the one who told the religious leaders that his disciples couldn't sit around fasting and putting on long faces while he was present with them. So it's no wonder that those stuffed shirt Pharisees who were oh so serious all the time plotted to have Jesus taken out of the picture. Right? I mean, they couldn't allow him to go on indefinitely standing everything on its head and making their piety look ridiculous. Right? They couldn't allow their carefully crafted man-made traditions to look laughable. And oh, how they hated Jesus' sermon illustrations and his jokes. Right? The ones that poked fun at the Pharisees' pride and pompousness, while at the same time told the people exactly what the kingdom of God was really like. Uh, like, for instance, when Jesus talked about a, a holier-than-thou man tooting his own horn before he dumps a whole pile of cash in the collection box, which comically turned out to be worth less in God's sight than a couple copper pennies from a widow. Oh, or how about Jesus' camel jokes? Right. Evidently, our Lord loved camel jokes, he talked about them going through the eyes of needles easier than rich folks getting into heaven. and He teased the Pharisees about the camel-sized sins that they seemed to swallow so easily but then turned around and choked on a gnat. And worse yet, Jesus told stories about idlers who were given a full day's pay and stewards who were successful cheats and prodigal sons who were celebrated when they came home. And so these sad sack pharisees stomp off in a huff and they plot to make this merrymaker maker named jesus disappear because they just didn't get him did they you know but i think it was only because they were just too stuck inside their their own ill-informed ideas and their own false assumptions to see the the dead-end life that they were in or how to get out of it right like the the time that a new uh, blonde flight attendant was preparing for her first overnight trip and she she was a little nervous so a more seasoned flight attendant offered to you know direct her to the best places to shop and and to eat and to stay overnight and she even helped her get to the hotel room the next morning the senior flight attendant was preparing for their return trip and she noticed that the new stewardess was missing so she decided to called the hotel room and and to check on her and when the phone finally picked up the older woman could uh, tell that the the younger one was in distress and in a panic so the older woman said well hon what what's the matter the blonde steward said i'm so so glad you called i'm trapped the older woman said you're trapped what do you mean And, and she said through tears yeah there only seems to be three doors in here she sobbed one One is the bathroom, and and one is is the closet, and one has this sign on it that says, Do not disturb. (laughs) And and I think that must have been the same sign that the, the Pharisees had on their brains, right? The same sign that was on the brains of Jesus' enemies. Those who claimed to know God's Word so well but had forgotten all about our text today in Psalm forty-three when the Messiah says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. And you know, God answered that plea and in the process had the last laugh after all, didn't he? Right? See, picture it with me. Here's here's Caiaphas the high priest and his crowd, and, and Pilate and, and Herod and all of theirs, and they're they're sitting smugly in this a ridiculous state of grave and dignified self-congratulation over the death of our Lord Jesus, uh, thinking that they've done their religious and, and civil duty by disposing once and for all of a man they considered a dangerous troublemaker. And now with him safely dead and decorum restored to society, they could concentrate once more on the things that really mattered to them, on the things they dedicated their lives to, like lining their pockets with money and staying in power. See, but behind their backs, without them having the slightest inkling of what was going on, their very action and participation in the death of our Lord had a big hand in bringing about the very thing they feared the most, the triumph of Jesus Christ. So now the joke, as it were, was on them. And the disciples of Jesus Those brothers who are hiding out now in fear and sadness are about to receive a surprise guest that will put a smile on their faces that nothing in the world could ever wipe away. That's why John chapter 20 tells us that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Because you see, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, he brings a new perspective. When Jesus shows up, he brings peace and joy with him. And those disciples must have been so surprised and so happy by their risen friend and master, our Lord Jesus, appearing to them alive they would have been totally ecstatic. They would have been filled with joy. I mean, just imagine it. This is this is the resurrection appearance of Jesus we're talking about. I mean, how would you react if someone that you loved and lost to death suddenly appeared in the room right now, alive and well? Right? What do you what do you think the apostles did? Give Jesus a, a blank stare and applaud politely? No. Folks, this is the most incredible comeback story of all time. They would have jumped for joy. And they would have hugged each other, and they might have danced around a little bit, right? And I'll bet you that they laughed. I bet you they laughed right out loud in joy and relief. You know, it was a feeling that the early church fathers didn't want us to lose. They even had a name for it. They called it in Latin, Rhesus Pascalis. Uh, The Protestant Germans picked up that train of thought and called it Osterlachen, but either way it means the Easter laugh. Uh, and it's mentioned in the writings of the early church theologians, great theologians like Augustine and Gregory of Nyssa and John Chrysostom. And that theme of the joy and the holy laughter that the resurrection of Jesus inspired has, has been passed down through the ages. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther wrote about it. He said, God is not a God of sadness, but the God of this world, the devil, is. Christ is a God of joy. And it is pleasing to our dear God whenever one rejoices or laughs from the bottom of their hearts. Right? And that's why in the early centuries of the Christian church, Easter celebrations went on for days, sometimes for weeks. And that happened because recognizing as the early church did, that our worship should be characterized by gladness and delight in the Lord. Right? And with, one, with what one author called A joyful otherness. I like that term, a joyful otherness. That should be us. As they prayed and studied and shared together and cared about one another. And as Acts chapter 2 said, they were day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes where they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. And, you know, I'm so glad to know that we have that happening here in this church. You know, and I know I've said it many times, but I don't think I've ever attended a church uh, where I've laughed so much and had so much fun, and at the same time seen the Holy Spirit move among a group of people in such a mighty and powerful way. But, you know, I think we can go even further than that. And, and I think we can have that kind of joy in our individual lives, too. Because I don't know about you. Uh, but in my own life, and I'm sure probably in yours, it's sometimes a lot easier to be filled with joy and gladness when we're here, right? In the sanctuary, when we're all together. And then you start to lose that as you go about your weekly grind at home with all of your, your private worries. You know, worries over your, uh, your health, or worries over the state of your life, or worries over the circumstances of the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because you know, the Bible tells us there's a time to laugh. And I'm going to suggest that now is that time. The time to laugh. The time to laugh at all the things that snuff out joy. To laugh at all the things that pretend to be all-powerful, like the cruelty and madness of this world. And most especially, to laugh at death. Not because we have on rose-colored glasses. Not because we don't care about the suffering of the world. Not because we're immune to personal pains and trials, but because Jesus, uh, as Dawn so beautifully sang, Jesus sweeps them away with the wonderful joy and promise of the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ, on our behalf, defeated the power of sin that held us in bondage, and in his victory, that last enemy of the human race is defeated, making Easter into God's supreme joke over the powers of death. Because now the Jesus whom the disciples had mourned as dead was not only alive again, but His Spirit so infused them that they could face anything that life threw their way. Right? So, in other words, in raising Jesus, God had the last laugh. And as that old proverb said, he who laughs last, laughs best, right? Now, now I realize not very many of us were brought up to believe that church was a place of laughter. Right? Tears, maybe. Not laughter. Uh, And I shared this with you before, but I I love this quote. One writer said that we Protestants usually appear to have not only been washed in the blood, but starched completely stiff in it, too. (laughs) And when, when we're so deadly serious so much of the time, we make Christianity seem more like a burden than a blessing. And the world out there is watching us. They're watching us, and they're asking us all day long, where is your God when this is going on? Now now certainly our faith is is serious and the message of the cross is no joke. But at the same time, as followers of Jesus today, we can view the tragedy of the cross through the lens of the resurrection. And let it bring us a holy joy, a sanctified laughter, uh, a holy excitement. And let our faces look like we love God and we're genuinely happy for what He's done for us. And, And you know, today, rather than allowing ourselves the luxury of depression, or the angst of self-pity, let's say to ourselves instead, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Our God, yours and mine, in the person of Jesus Christ who said, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Laugh right out loud that no matter how rough this life is, No matter how much sorrow its fallenness brings us personally, there will be victory in Jesus and eternal rejoicing and laughter for the people of God that will never end. Amen.